Welcome to Time Out with Dentons. My name is Matthew Rollison and today I'm chatting with my partner Jenny Andrews, one of our experts on leasing transactions. And we are exploring the ever-changing landscape of leasing in the Australian economy following the announcement of the National Mandatory Code of Conduct with particular reference to New South Wales. Given that it's changing so rapidly, Jenny, perhaps what is going to be a benefit to our listeners will be What's the background to the regulations in New South Wales and how did they come about? Thanks, Matt. The implementation legislation was introduced in early April and we've now got the enabling legislation that was passed on Friday the 24th of April. We're the first state to pass enabling legislation. I know Victoria passed its legislation on last Friday, but as far as I'm aware, none of the other states have passed theirs. I think the reason that there's a delay between the enabling legislation being passed and then the implementing legislation is just that there is so much consultation going on. I know in Queensland that you have a long consultation period, Matt. I think, have you been involved with the PCA on that? That's right, Jenny. The uh, PCA in Queensland and in uh, nationally has been uh, a good advocate for the industry, both landlords and tenants, as, they tr- as it tries to educate the legislature on how best to approach the difficulties that those landlords and tenants are experiencing in the COVID-19 environment. What, what I found particularly interesting about the way the New South Wales government has approached the introduction of the National Code is that it crafted the amendments through the retail shop leases legislation. But of course, what we've seen through the regulation, I think, is that it's had much wider reach. So what leases do the regulations apply to? You're right, Matt. It's actually really interesting. And we had that debate earlier on about whether it could actually be done this way under the enabling legislation. But what's happened is this regulation applies to two sets of leases. It applies to commercial leases, which are all retail shop leases and leases of premises or land for commercial purposes. And the way they've done that is by adding additional regulations to the Retail Leases Act and then to cover non-retail leases, the legislature has amended the Conveyancing Act, which is our kind of corporate land act in New South Wales, by inserting a new Schedule 5. But coming back to the leases that are caught, the regulations apply to commercial leases in New South Wales, and commercial leases are all retail shop leases and leases of premises or land for commercial purposes. Those leases have to have been entered into before the 24th of April 2020. And it also covers option leases or renewals entered into after that date where the option or renewal is on the same terms. The regulations don't apply to leases under the Agricultural Tenancies Act. Now, the interesting thing is the way this has been introduced, the regulations amend the Retail Leases Act by inserting regulations, sounds logical, but for commercial leases to which the Retail Leases Act does not apply, the regulation has created a new schedule for the Conveyancing Act 1919. So Jenny, that gives us a bit of an idea about the types of leases that are being impacted by the new regulations as they've been enacted in New South Wales. But can we drill down a little bit further then and say, well, what sort of tenants do the regulations apply to? Okay, Matt, the the tenants, it actually follows the code. So we have this concept of small to medium-sized enterprises, but that's not what the regulations use. The regulations have this concept of impacted lessees. 
So to qualify as an impacted lessee, the lessee must satisfy two tests. The first test is that the lessee must qualify for the Commonwealth JobKeeper Scheme, and that's totally in line with the code. But note the words are qualify for. You don't actually have to be receiving any payments. So, and we know with the JobKeeper Scheme, leaving aside the eligible employee requirements, you have to actually have a 30% fall in turnover where you have an aggregated turnover of $1 billion or less, which I figure is where most of these tenants would be. Second, so this is the second criteria to be an impacted lessee, your turnover has to be in the 2018-2019 financial year less than 50 million. If the lessee is a franchisee, then the turnover you look at is the turnover of the business conducted at the premises. But if the lessee is a corporation who is a member of a group defined as related bodies corporate under the Corps Act, which, as you all know, is a very wide definition, then the turnover is the turnover of the group. And interestingly, turnover of a business includes any turnover derived from internet sales of goods or services. So from a retail lease perspective, that's actually quite a different concept to that of online transactions under the Retail Leases Act. So, Jen, you've got a court lease, you've got a court tenant to whom these regulations are going to apply. Can a tenant and a landlord expect that these regulations will continue to apply for all time or is there some other fixed period for which they apply given the uh, COVID pandemic? Really great question, Matt. The, it's very clear from the regulation that it's repealed on the date at six months after the date on which it commenced. So it started on the 24th of April and ends on the 24th of October 2020. For the purposes of the regulation, that described as the prescribed period. And to be very clear, the regulation only applies to events occurring or breaches occurring within the prescribed period. So if you had a, if a tenant was in arrears for rent for January and February, then that would not be covered by this regulation. It's actually quite an interesting concept that you could have a fixed period of time because what we're seeing, you know, taking into account the Queensland legislation, is that the expiry date of the Queensland legislation is expressed to be the 31st of December uh, 2020. So you can see that whilst we're implementing a national code, its implementation in each of the states is going to be slightly different and that's going to create some interesting situations where you have a tenant perhaps or a landlord perhaps that has assets that cover multiple jurisdictions. So let's drill down then, Jenny, into what are the main points of the regulation? What is a tenant entitled to? Um, what is a landlord entitled to expect? Well, there's quite a few things. The code is not entirely implemented by the Act. They're very similar, but not the same. So in implementing the code, the regulations have picked up a lot of things. The main features of the regulations. I'll describe them quickly and then go into a little bit more detail. Certain prescribed actions cannot be taken against impacted lessees during the prescribed period. That's what you'd expect. There's no rent increases for impacted lessees during the prescribed period. Thirdly, impacted lessees have the benefit of any reduction in statutory outgoings and insurances that the landlord can achieve. Fourth, impacted lessees are relieved from certain breaches in certain circumstances. Fifth, there's the right and obligation to renegotiate the rent and terms when the lessee is an impacted lessee, exactly as you'd expect under the code, but not entirely in the same way as the code. 
and mediation must be offered and mediation must fail before you can go to court. So just running through those in a bit more detail, consistent with the code, the lessor cannot take a prescribed action against an impacted lessee for failing to pay rent or outgoings or for not opening the business for trade in accordance with the hours under the lease. However, a prescribed action is very widely defined and includes eviction, re-entry, charging interest, claiming under the security or the bank guarantee, or terminating the lease. The description in the regulations is actually wider than the code. Secondly, if the lessee is an impacted lessee, then during the prescribed period, remember that's our six-month period, the rent, excluding turnover rent, can't be increased. And that rent review is lost forever. You can't reapply it after the prescribed period has ended. So landlords need to think about that when they're agreeing their rent relief with the tenant. The third requirement, which is really interesting in terms of how you would implement it, is that an impacted lessee who is required to pay a fixed amount for land tax, rates or insurance under the commercial lease is entitled to benefit from any reduction that the lessor might get in those amounts. Now that means the lessor will obviously get some, or sorry, may get a land tax adjustment under the new changes to the land tax legislation. He may be able to negotiate a reduced insurance premium with his insurer and similar arrangements in relation to council and water rates which is coming in. While that seems perfectly logical and reasonable, the administration will be a nightmare. Presumably the landlord would do this as part of his wash-up of the annual outgoings, but the regulations do not prescribe how this should be done. Now, Jenny, can I just sort of just pick your brains there? Um, an interesting point will be there's an expectation that tenants need to have an open book as part of the process for negotiation, but from what you're saying there, I suspect that landlords are going to need to have a corresponding open book um, in their negotiations with their tenants. I agree, Matt. Landlords are going to have to be very open, and I think that's consistent with what the code says. It has to be a transparent process, and we're all in it together, as the Prime Minister keeps saying. So the answer is yes. I think it has to be open book and transparent. But from the landlord's perspective, I'm not quite sure how he can do that, given he's already given the outgoings to the tenant. The tenant's paying monthly in advance. Under a retail lease, the landlord has to comply with the legislative requirements. So it seems to me that perhaps the better course of action is to do the wash-up at the end and provide the information at that time. But that's only a guess. Yeah, well, it's a bit of a hard one at the moment, isn't it? Because we're, there's, a, there's a fair bit of guessing going on. But um, I think that what you say is right. We're trying to put in place practical solutions to what is the legislative conundrum that we're now faced with in the COVID-19 environment. But one of the, you were just pressing on there a moment ago with some of the, the key points of the regulations as you drilled down into a little more detail. So uh, don't let me stop you there. You, you keep going on that. The next one is probably the most logical one. If there's a Commonwealth or State Act or order which requires an impacted lessee to do or not do something, and that would be inconsistent with the lease, then if the tenant complies with that legislation or order, the tenant is not in breach of the lease. I personally think that's entirely logical and reasonable. An example would be if the government says all amusement centres have to close, which is actually what has happened under our public health COVID-19 restrictions on gathering and movement order. If the tenant 
closes down its amusement centre, then clearly it's going to be in breach of its obligation to trade under its retail lease. But the legislation says that that is not a breach of the commercial lease and it does not uh, constitute grounds for termination or the taking of a prescribed action. Then the fifth regulation is most important is that an impacted lessee can ask for a renegotiation of the rent and other terms of the lease. Now, if such a request is made, then as you'd expect, there's an obligation on the parties to negotiate in good faith. The parties are to renegotiate the rent and the terms having regard to, and I emphasise those words, the economic impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic and the leasing principles set out in the code. What's interesting here is that the regulations don't actually set out the principles from the code. They don't say that you must give the waiver or the deferral. I'll talk a little bit more about that later. And finally, disputes are to be mediated. Now that's nothing new for retail leases, but it is something new under the Conveyancing Act for general commercial leases. So for retail leases, the regulations extend the application of Part 8 of the Act, which is the dispute resolution requirements, by adding this concept of an impacted commercial lease dispute. And that is any dispute concerning liabilities or obligations under a commercial lease to which an impacted lessee is a party, concerning circumstances occurring during the prescribed period, including disputes relating to negotiations or failure to take part in a renegotiation of the rent. So you could have a situation where a landlord of a lease during the prescribed period fails to negotiate with the impacted tenant, and that would be a dispute which would have to go to mediation before any other action could be taken. What you might find there, Jenny, is that COVID-19 may be well and truly passed and the restrictions withdrawn and we'd still be resolving a rent which may need to be retrospectively put in place back to the commencement of the COVID period. How do you see that working? With difficulty. <laughs> I'm glad you answered the question that way because that was probably my thought. Matt, I, look, as we talked about before about guessing, I think that's a logical conclusion. I do not know how NCAT is going to deal with these and also how our commissioner is going to deal with the mediations under the Conveyancing Act, because we've never had that requirement before. So I think I mentioned before, the new schedule to the Conveyancing Act includes a mediation requirement, so no action can be taken to recover possession or terminate the lease or exercise enforce any other right unless mediation has failed to resolve the dispute. So we suddenly have now a mediation procedure in relation to commercial leases, which have to comply with the with the schedule, as we've talked about before, but it's still this whole new area that didn't exist previously. So part of that then, as we sort of reach the conclusion of our uh, discussion this evening, is take the, the technical and how does the rubber hit the road? What's the, what's the practical things that you're seeing as to how these agreements are being reached and then documented? I know it's early days. But are you seeing these documented by letter or deeds of variation, incentive deeds, or other forms of document abatement deeds? Uh, where do you think we're going to hit with that? Somehow they've got to be reduced to writing. Uh, absolutely. I think that where we're going to end up is that there will be a 
some kind of offer made by the landlord. So we'll have the tenant filling in a questionnaire. I know a lot of landlords have already submitted questionnaires to tenants. So tenants have sent them an email or a letter saying, we're really suffering, we've had a downturn or we've had to close our business. Um, we've lost a lot of money, they've set out reasonable details. But as I understand, a lot of landlords have sent a kind of questionnaire to the tenants asking for more detail and more factual detail. I don't think that that is unreasonable at all because the landlord has to ascertain that a tenant making a claim that it's an impacted lessee under, this, under these regulations qualifies for job JobKeeper and has the relevant turnover. So that's step one, as I see it. I think that's already underway for a lot of landlords. If, if it's not, then landlords should start thinking about it. The next thing I think will happen is that landlords will start making offers to tenants based on the information provided. And I imagine that there'll be some conversations coming out of that. Some tenants may accept with alacrity. Others, I think, will be more considered looking at their business planning for the whole of the next year rather than just this period. And once those negotiations are settled, I imagine that there will be a offer acceptance in the form of a letter which the tenant will accept. That seems to be the usual process. And that will reserve an obligation to formalise that letter, either with a deed um, or with a registered variation of lease as required in New South Wales for registered leases. We might have to come up with some sort of an acronym for uh, those deeds. Um, generally, that's what happens uh, when something novel is, is created. Yeah. The COVID deed, perhaps. <laughs> It doesn't quite have the ring to it I was looking for, but um, you know, perhaps the COVID deed is what we're going. These are going to be known as, and hopefully they're only a temporary instrument that that we only see for the next six months. Although they'll tend to have a life beyond the next six months, no doubt, given the ability to abate and then defer, and then the re recoverability of that deferral right. They, you know, they're going to run for you know up to two years. Well, it's interesting because it talks about twenty-four months, as you know, in the code, but. It could be longer and there could be other requirements. The parties might agree to extend the term by another three years, four years, and extend it over that period as well. So, yes, it's very important and quite difficult. On that note, we might wrap up our conversation. I think that the conversations between landlords and tenants were already charging along in the spirit of the code before this New South Wales legislation was enacted. But with the benefit of the code and these clarifying regulations, we continue our journey in the COVID-19 leasing market in New South Wales, hopefully with some more certainty for both landlords and tenants for give or take the next six months. I'd like to thank you, Jenny. It's been an enlightening discussion this evening on uh, the impact of the New South Wales legislation. Thank you, Matt. And thank you to everybody for sharing some more time out with dentists.